Hello everyone, I'm your host, Randy Ramos, and on today's episode of It Was Murder, we will be discussing the case of Edmund Kemper. Edmund Emil Kemper III was born December 18, 1948. He's an American seal killer, seal rapist, cannibal, and necrophilia, who murdered 10 people, including his paternal grandparents and mother. He's known for his height of 6 feet 9 inches and for his high intellect, possessing an IQ of 145. Kemper was nicknamed the Cold Head Killer as most of his victims were female college students. Edmund Kemper III was born, born in Burbank, California, December 18, 1948. He was the middle child and only son, born to Clarnell Kemper and Edmund Emil Kemper II. Weighing 13 pounds as a newborn, Kemper was a head taller than his peers by the age of four. Early on, he exhibited antisocial behavior such as cruelty to animals. Get this, at the age of 10, he buried a pet cat alive. Once it died, he dig it up, decapitated it, and mounted on the head of, on a spike. Ooh. Gruesome scene, nonetheless. Kemper later, later stated he derived pleasure from su- successfully lying to his family about killing the cat. Okay, now we can skip ahead to some of the juicy stuff. His first murders. On August 27, 1964, at the age of 15, Kemper was sitting at the kitchen table with his grandmother when they had an argument. Enraged, Camper stormed off, retrieved a rifle that his grandfather had given him for hunting. The rifle had been confiscated because he used he used it to shoot animals. He then re-entered the kitchen and fairly shot his grandmother in the head before firing twice more into her back. His grandmother's last words were, Oh, you better not be shooting that those birds again. Some accounts mention that she also suffered multiple multiple postmortem stab wounds with a kitchen knife. Now, when Ed Camper's grandfather, Edmund Emil Camper, returned from grocery shopping, Camper went outside and fairly shot him in the driveway next to his car. He was unsure of what to do next, so he phoned his mother, who told him to contact the local police. Camper caught the police and waited to be taken into custody. After his arrest, Kemper said that he just wanted to see what it felt like to kill grandma. Anticipate that he killed his grandfather, she was, she would not, so he would not have to find out his wife was dead. And he would be angry with Kemper for what he had done. Strange comment. Uh, okay, now this is about his imprisonment. At Escadero, California Youth Facility, psychiatrists and social workers disagreed with the court Psychiatrist diagnosis. The report stated that Kemper showed no flight of ideas, no interference with thought, no expression of delusions or hallucinations, and no evidence of bizarre thinking. They all observed him to be intelligent and introspective. Initially, testing measure IQ, his IQ at 136, over two standard deviations above average. Well, this guy was really, really, really smart. 
He was then re-diagnosed with less third condition, a permanently trait disturbance passive aggressive type. Later on in his time in the Escudero, Kemper was given another IQ test but gave him a higher result of 145. Kemper endeared himself to his psychiatrist by being a model prisoner and was trained to administer psychiatry tests to other inmates. One of his psychiatrists later said he was a very good worker and this is not typical of a psychopath. He really took pride in his work. Kemper also became a member of the JCs while in, I can't say this word, Atascadero, and said he developed some new tests and new scales of the Minnesota Multifastic Personality Inventory. Okay, now we're going to move on to his release. On December 18, 1969, his 21st birthday, Kemper was released on parole from the facility against the recommendations of psychiatrists at the hospital. He was released into the care of his mother, Clarnell, who had remarried, taking the surname Strandberg, and then divorced again. At 609A Ord Street of Toast, California, a short drive from where she worked as an administrative assistant at University of California, Santa Cruz. Kemper later demonstrated further to a psychiatrist that he was rehabilitated and on November 29th, he was records reprimanded sponge. The last report from his probation, psychiatrist read, if I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I think we were dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychotic, psychotic illnesses. It is in my opinion that he had made a very excellent response to the years of treatment or rehabilitation, and I would see no further reason to consider him to be any danger to himself or any felonies of society, and since allow him more freedom as an adult to develop his potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent expansion of his juvenile records. I'm moving on a little more. Between May 1972 and April 1973, Kemper killed eight people. He would pick up female students who were hitchhiking, take them to isolated areas where he would shoot, stab, smother, or strangle them. He would take them to their who take their bodies back to his house, where he de- decapitated them, perform acts on their heads, had, had sexual acts with their corpses, and then dismembered them. During his 11-month murder spree, he killed five college students, one high school student, his mother, his mother's best friend. Temper has stated in interviews that he often searched for victims. After having arguments with his mother, and that she refused to introduce him to women attending the university where she worked. He recalled she would say, you're just like your father, you don't deserve to get to know them. Psychiatrists and Kemper himself have responsibly that the young women were several goats for his ultimate target, his mother. Now on to the first victims. On May 7, 1972, Kemper was driving in Brunswick, California when he picked up two 18-year-old 
recycling students from Fresno State University. Their names were Mary Ann Pesh and Anita Mary Luchessa, with the pretense of taking them to Stanford University. After driving in for an hour, he managed to reach a secluded wooded area near Alamadema, California, which he was familiar from with his work at the, at the highway department. Without alerting his passengers that he had changed directions from where they wanted to go, it was there that he handcuffed Pesh and Lucessa in the trunk and stabbed his drink of Pesh to death, subsequently killing Lucessa in a similar manner. Kemper later confessed that while handcuffing Pesh, he buried he brushed the back of his hand against one of her breasts and embarrassed him, adding that he, whoops, I'm sorry, or something like that, after grazing her breast despite the murder, despite murdering her minutes later. Camper put both of the women's bodies in the trunk of his Ford Galaxy and returned to his apartment. He was stopped on the way by a police officer for having a broken tub light. But the officer did not detect the corpse in the car. Camper's roommate was not at home, so he took the bodies into his apartment where he photographed and had sexual intercourse with a naked corpse before dismembering them. He then put the body parts into plastic bags where he later ab abandoned near Loma Preacher Mountain before disposing of Pest and his service head in a ravine. Camper engaged in a rheumatoid with both of them. In August of that year, Pest skull was found on the mountain. Extensive search failed to come the rest of Pest remains. Oh, a trace of Luchessa. Well, can't believe any of that. But it happened. Now on to the second victim. Akiaku. On the evening of September 14th, 1972, Kemper picked up a 15-year-old dad student named Akia Aku, who had decided to hitchhike to a dance class after missing her bus. He again drove to a remote area where he pulled a gun on Ku before accidentally locking himself out of his car. However, Ku led him back inside despite the fact that the gun was still in the car. Back inside the car, he proceeded to choke her unconscious raper and kill her. Kemper subsequently packed Ku's body in the trunk of his car and went to a nearby bar to have a few drinks, then, re then returned to his apartment. He later confessed that after exiting the bar, he opened the trunk of his car, admiring his catch like a fisherman. Back at his apartment, he had sexual intercourse with the corpse, then dismembered and disposed of the remains in a similar manner as his previous two victims. Ku's mother called the police to report the disappearance of her daughter and put hundreds of flyers asking for information, but she did not receive any responses regarding her daughter's location or status. Well, okay, on to the third victim, Cindy Shaw. On January 17th, um, excuse me, January 7th, 1973, Kemper had moved back in with his mother while driving around like a Cabrillo College campus when he picked up 18-year-old student Cynthia and Cindy Shaw. He drove her to a wooded area and barely shot her with a 22 caliber pistol. 
He then placed her body in the trunk of his car and drove to his mother's house where he kept her in the closet in his room overnight. When his mother left for work the next morning, he had sexual intercourse with, with and removed the bullet from Scout's corpse, then dismembered and decapitated her in his mother's bathtub. Wow. Kemper kept Scout's severed head for several days, regularly engaging in a rheumatoid with it, and buried it in his mother's garden, facing upward towards her, her bedroom. After the arrest, he stated he did not. He did this because his mother always wanted people to look up to her. Creepy pun. They disregarded the rest of his house remains by throwing them off a cliff. Over the course of the following few weeks, all except her head and right hand were discovered and pieced together like a macabre jigsaw puzzle. A pathologist determined that shells had been cut into pieces with a power saw. Now moving on to Rosalind Thorpe and Alice and Lou. On, on February 5th, after a heated argument with his mother, Kemper left his house and searched for possible victims. With heightened suspicion of a killer preying on hitchhikers in Santa Cruz area, students were advised to surprise only from cars with university stickers on them. Kemper had been able to obtain such a sticker as his mother worked at the University of California, Santa Cruz. He encountered 23 Rosalind Heather Thorpe and 20-year-old Allison Helen, Alice Helen, Allison Liu on the U, UCSC campus. According to Camper, Thorne entered the car first. We're showing Liu to also enter. He finally shot Thorpe and then Lou with his 22 caliber pistol and wrapped their bodies in blankets. Kemper again brought the victims back to his mother's house, this time beheading them in his car, and carried the headless corpse into his mother's house to have sexual intercourse with them. He then dismembered the bodies and went to bullets to prevent identification and discarded the remains the next morning. Some remains were found at Eden Kenyon a week later, and more were found here. Highway 1 in March. When questioned in an interview as to why he decapitated his victims, Kemper explained, The head trip fantasies were like a bit of a trophy, you know? The head is where everything's at. The brain, eyes, mouth. That's the person. I remember being torn as a kid. You cut off the head and the body dies. The body is nothing after the head cut off. After the head is cut off. Well, that's not quite true and there's a lot in a girl's body without the head. Hmm. Now moving on to Claire Nell Strandberg, his mother, and Sally Hallett, her friend. On April 20th, 1973, after coming home from a party, 52-year-old Claire Nell Elizabeth Strandberg awakened her, her son with her arrival. While sitting in her bed reading a book, she noticed Kemper enter her room and said to him, I suppose, you, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Kemper replied, no, good night. He then waited for her to fall asleep where he snuck back into her room to bludgeon her with a claw hammer and slit her throat with a pen knife. He then decapitated her and enraged in, in rheumatoid with her severed head, then used it as a dartboard. 
Kemper stated that he put her head on a shelf and screamed at it for an hour. To dart at it and ultimately smashed her face in. He also cut out her tongue and larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. However, the garbage disposal could not break down the televocal cords and injected the tissue back into the sink. That seemed appropriate, Kemper said, as a bunch of she bitched and screamed and yelled at me over so many years. Kemper then hid his mother's corpse in the closet and went to drink at a nearby bar. Upon his return, he invited his mother's best friend, 59-year-old Sarah Taylor Sally Hallett, over to the house to have dinner and watch a movie. When Hallett arrived, Kemper strangled her to death to greater to cover story that his mother Hallett had gone away together on vacation. He some some I can't say this word. So subsequently so put Hallett's corpse in the closet, obscured any outward signs of a disturbance, and left a note to the police. It read Approximately five fifteen AM Saturday. No need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep the way I wanted it, not sloppy, and incomplete gents. Just just like a time I got things to do. That's one hell of a note. If I ever heard one. Afterwards, Kemper fled the scene. He drove in a, drove nonstop to Pueblo, Colorado, taking Kathleen Pills to stay awake for the thousand mile journey. He had three guns and hundreds of rounds of ammunition in his car and believed he was the target of an active manhunt. After not hearing any news on the radio about the murder of his mother, Hallett, when he arrived in Pueblo, he found a phone booth and called police. He confessed to the murders of his mother and Hallett, but the police did not take his call seriously and told him to call back at a later time. Several hours later, Kemper called again, asking to speak to an officer he personally knew. He confessed to, the op- to that officer killing his mother and Hallett, then waited for police to arrive and take him to, take him into custody, where he also confessed to the murders of the six students. When asked in a later interview why he turned himself in, Kemper said the original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real emotion purpose. It would just appear a waste of time. Emotion, I couldn't handle it much longer toward the end there. I started feeling the foil of the whole damn thing, and at the point of near dust and your collapsed, I just said to hell with it and caught it off. Well, at he was truthful. <laughs> the most truthful serial killer I ever heard about, I read. Kemper was indicted on eight counts of first-degree murder on May 7, 1973. He was assigned the key public defender, Santa Cruz County Attorney Jim Jackson. Due to Kemper's explicit and detailed confession, his counsel's only option was to plead guilty, to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. To the charges, Kemper twice tried to commit suicide in custody. His trial went ahead on October 23, 1973. Three court appointed psychiatrists found Campy Kemper to be legally insane. One of the psychiatrists, Dr. Joe Fort, investigated his juvenile records and the diagnosis that he was one psychotic. Ford also interviewed Kemper, including under oath, under Tuesday, and relying to the court that Kemper had engaged in cannibalism, alleging he sliced he sliced flesh from the legs of his victims then cooked and consumed these strips of flesh in a casserole. 
Nonetheless, Ford determined that Kemper was fully cognizant in each case and said that Kemper enjoyed the prospect of the infamy as so he would be labeled as a murderer. Kemper later recanted the confession of cannibalism. On November 8, 1973, the six months, six months, six women jury deliberated for five hours before declaring Kemper sane and guilty on all counts. He asked for the death penalty, requesting death by torture. However, with a moratorium mor- placed on capital punishment by the Supreme Court of California, he instead received seven years to life for each count with these terms to be served concurrently and was sentenced to the California Medical Facility. In the California Medical Facility, Kemper was incarcerated in the same prison block as notorious criminals such as Herbert Mullen and Charles Manson. Kemper showed no, showed particularly disdain for, Matt, for Mullen, who committed his murders at the same time and in the same area as Kemper. He, he described Mullen as a cold-blooded killer, killing everybody he saw for no good reason. Kemper man, manipulated and physically intimidated Mullen, who at five feet nine inches was more than a foot shorter than he. Kemper stated that Mullen had a habit of singing and singing and bothering people when somebody tried to watch TV, so I threw water on him to shut him up. <laughs> That's funny. And when he was a good boy, I gave him peanuts. Herbie liked peanuts. That was ineffective. That was effective because pretty soon he has permission to sing. That's called behavior modification. Behavior modification treatment. Wow, this guy is really, really bright. Kemper was first eligible for parole in 1979. He was denied parole that year, as well as parole hearings in 1980, 1981, and 1982. He subsequently waived his right to a hearing in 1985. He was denied parole at his 1988 hearing, where he said, society's not ready in any shape or form for me. I can't fault them for that. He was denied parole again in 1991 and 1994. He then waived his right to a hearing in 1997 and in 2002. He attended the next hearing in 2007 where he again was denied parole. Prosecutor Dane Simmons said, we don't care how much of a modern prisoner he is because of the enormity of his crimes. Kemper waived his right to a hearing again in 2012. He was denied parole in 2017, and is next eligible, uh, uh, eligible in 2024. Okay, so this seems to be pretty much the story on him. Uh, what can I say? You know, he's very intelligent. You know, he's more um, truthful than more than most serial killers. You know. Um, yeah, he's 72 right now, so I don't think he's ever going to get out. Um, he will, he he will most likely die in there. Um, yeah, he will most, most likely die in there. Um. This was an interesting read by far, you know. 
I've seen some interviews with him on YouTube, and he's very interesting, you know. If you didn't know he was a serial killer, you know, you'd want to be his friend, you know. So, uh, yeah, um, had a very, very strange childhood, you know. And as far as his mother goes, you know, she didn't deserve that, but she could also treat him better, you know. I mean, if you treat your son like crap all his life, you know, what goes around comes around, I guess, you know. So, uh, yeah, um, I don't have really much to add. Um, killing your grandparents at 15 is pretty bold, you know. Maybe it was also hell living with his grandparents as well, you know. Who knows, you know. Um, I feel sad for everybody involved in this case, you know. Rest in peace to the girls, you know. They didn't know who they were getting in the car with, you know. They had no idea, you know. How would you know, you know? Nobody has serial killer written on their forehead, you know? So, uh, yeah. He is definitely an in interesting guy by far, you know? So, uh, yeah. Um. This is all I have on this case. Um, this is my first episode of the podcast. You know, um, I can't wait to uh, who I cover in the second episode, you know. Um, maybe someone not really known. Maybe uh, someone who is known. Edmund Kemper is known, he's not, you know, top five serial killers, but he is someone that people have talked about before, you know. He was also the basis for a, char for a character on Mindhunter on Netflix, but, you know, it was a great show. I wish that David Fincher continued with it, you know, but obviously didn't, and I don't think we're ever going to get a season three, you know. But if you haven't watched it, I recommend it. It's really good, you know. It's not slow. It's not boring, you know. It's just the right amount of serial killer, <laughs> you know. So, uh, this pretty much wraps up this episode. To everyone listening, or going to listen, thank you. Um, so, this pretty much wraps up this episode, and I'll be... Back with another episode next week. You know. Try to be nice to people, you know. Internet, in person, whatever, you know. Try to spread some love instead of always spreading hate. I'm your host, Randy Ramos, and I am out. Good day, everyone. I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Can you say how many people might be doing 
crimes like you were doing? It would be a guess, but it's not. It's far more than 35. It isn't that impossible in this society. It happens. Are there more people? They didn't give up. Uh, how he, many? She didn't give up. I did. I came in out of the cold. And what I'm saying is there are some people who prefer it in the cold. Good people say. A nice guy. 